Welcome to the Create and Consume Podcast. I'm Joe Bowers, and with me today is Henry Levins, designer and founder of Pioneer Carry. I plan on asking Henry some questions about his brand, what it's like to transition from being a designer to being a business owner, and to get some of the insights that come from his work experience, which include working in the outdoor industry, to then working in the elite design studio of IDEO, being a menswear designer at Levi's, and finally, starting his own business, Pioneer Carry. Also, we're going to try to do all of this um, and have a conversation for longer than 30 minutes without it turning into a full-blown argument, which in the eight years that I've known Henry has happened exactly two times. So uh, tune in, buckle up. This will probably not be boring. Again, I'm Joe Bowers, and this is episode two of the Create and Consume podcast. Welcome, Henry. Glad to be here. <laughs> Henry Liffins and I go way back, all the way to school. In fact, we've shared some jobs. Uh, we've done a lot of things together, but right now Henry is running his brand, Pioneer Carry, out of Chicago. Correct or n- incorrect? A mix of San Francisco and Chicago. All over the place. All over. I'm in San Francisco currently. So Henry is currently in San Francisco running his business. Um, and we decided to connect and to do this. What would you say, I mean, do you have, like, I don't know. Tell me about your brand. Tell me about what you're currently working on, as much as you can say. Well, there's nothing confidential. Okay. <laughs> I can make it a whole advertisement open. if you'd like to. Yeah, do your, do your elevator pitch. Why, do, why should we give a shit about Pioneer Carry? Well, so Pioneer Carry is a, essentially a wallet brand that uses technical materials um, to create what we call the future of carry. So the concept being leather's been around for generations. There's been a lot of advancements in material science. Uh, Even in the last 10 or even 20 years, things that compare or even uh, are better than leather in in certain use cases. Uh, A lot of them I picked up in previous career working in climbing equipment and uh, I put them to use in the wallet format, mm-hmm. and uh, it's mostly for people who are active and are doing things that are more demanding than, say, leather would take, and who wear things that are mostly synthetic, and our wallets are really high-end synthetic material. So the idea is, say, you're a, <coughs> a cyclist, and you wear a full synthetic kit from Rafa, and it costs you hundreds of dollars, right. and your bike costs $10,000, and your shoes, the whole deal... And then you've got this like leather wallet that your grandpappy had. Yeah. This is sort of kind of to update that kind of last remaining thing that hasn't been updated. I mean, your watch is now an Apple watch. Right. Uh, you know, you're wearing Flyknit shoes in the streets, and now this is kind of the wallet to kind of <clears throat> connect the dots. Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting thing because I think it is – there's a lot of kind of absurd moments that we have that in modern society. Like, yeah, guys in, in these full suits – are they're wearing suits, but then the Apple Watch, Cordovan shoes, and then they're wearing like a Dakine backpack mm-hmm. with their suit. And it's just kind of a bizarre fit. But yeah, there is, I like the fact that you're offering a wallet that does more fit that lifestyle. And is like, his totally makes more sense at this point with the modern technology than leather. And yeah, it's, we've, it's not just the lifestyle, like which was 
originally big part of it. It's not just the technology that no, it it's exists. The there, there is actually real function, and after launching the whole thing, we're finding that definitely the cyclists, which is I used to design Levi's commuter, which is cyclist stuff. Uh, they're really they get it right away. I mean, right. when they get the gear, they understand it. So it's like, and we've had people just rave about, oh, I, you know, my thing gets too soggy, my leather gets too soggy commuting to work, like a real. So it's real mixed with. Yeah. It's very also designy and. Which is the perfect balance, and I think any, if anybody wants to look at uh, your stuff, where should they go? Pioneercarry.com. dot com. Do you have, do you have an Instagram? I, Pioneer Instagram? Pioneer Carry Instagram. All right. <laughs> at Hash- Pioneer Carry. Hashtag, our hashtag is Future Carry. Future Carry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I encourage everybody to go look at it because it, it, it is true. Like, you look at it, and even if you don't have one in your hands, you look at the picture and you're like, oh, yeah, of course. That makes sense. And I've designed a lot of wallets. Henry's designed a lot of wallets. Um, I think I've honestly designed hundreds of wallets at this point. Um, Pioneer Carry does make sense. And when you see it, it clicks. But especially if you've ever held one in your hands or you've tried to play with it. That's the problem with DTC. Direct consumer. We've had yeah. quite a few people email us, kind of saying like, "Oh, dude, how are you ever going to make it?" Because the, the feeling in the hand felt so good, but I couldn't. I just took a risk. Yeah, especially <laughs> when the, I mean, when you first. I mean, my first experience with Pioneer Carry was like a, one of the earliest prototypes, early, early days, years ago. Years ago, but uh, you feel in the hands without cards in it, and it's like, what is this? It's almost so light and so immaterial. Because it's so thin that you're like, I don't know what this is or whatever. And then as soon as you put your cards in it or your and your cash, it's just got a good, such a good hand feel that just, and it just immediately makes sense. And you're like, why are wallets anything more than this? Um, but yeah, it's a it's it's a good quality product. It's definitely been the focal point of a lot of material conversations. Again, going back to that, like leather versus new synthetics. Um, which I don't know. It's a really entertaining conversation, but it's interesting how much we fetishize these old materials like metal and leather. And they, they are certainly good for certain things. But I remember a conversation um, having with you about even just like climbing hardware with like metal. Like still there's like consumers that are just like diehard fans of metal when plastic has overtaken metal and certain material qualities so much. And it's so hard to educate the consumer past that point. Mm-hmm. And leather is another one of those things. Yeah, and I think the timing is kind of perfect for Pioneer Carry because of the Lululemons and the Flyknit this right. and that and everything that people, you know, even 10 years ago it would have been a harder sell. But now, like, oh, I understand the advancements. Of, I understand this Arcteryx jacket is better than right. this Filson jacket because of this and right. this and that. And there will always be a place for a Filson and a leather wallet and your grandpa. Yeah, leather's not going to go anywhere. the smell of cigars and, you know, the whole thing. But... Uh, and there's no dissing that because we all like that at certain points and certain Absolutely. times. But uh, if you're looking for the future. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for pure functional uh, performance benefit and with, with certain things, we're just better at certain things now. Um, and it's fun to embrace those future elements. These things are tested. Um, what's the, it's the 10 times stronger than? Yeah, so we use a form of Dyneema, which is pretty much the strongest yarn in the world. It is the strongest yarn in the world. Um, is it? Yes, it absolutely is the strongest <laughs> filament in the world. Uh, and we use that, which is actually, it's a self-lubricating yarn. So that's actually what adds to the hand feel. And it's used in a solid form for like hip replacements. It's used for bulletproofing. Whoa. And that guy who jumped out of the airplane for the longest free fall and jumped into a net, that net was made out of the same material. Oh, wow. 
So, um, and that's just, we're not necessarily tied to that material. You know, we'll be using other new materials. And it's not just the material to, <coughs> it's also the uh, construction methods. Right. So the typical normal stitching and skiving of leather is now being replaced with what we're doing with is a lot of heat pressing and no sew construction. Thermoplastic Yeah. So uh, if you ever see some, you know, Nike or Lululemon apparel that has these things that look like they're almost glued on and they're not sewn and that whole thing, that is a very modern and very recent advancement in, you know, human invention that right. has made our wallets possible. So you can throw it in the wash. <laughs> if it's dirty, you can do all that, and we eliminate a lot of the stitching. And same, a lot of the same constructions. If, for, if you're familiar with how like wetsuits are constructed, performance jackets, performance hiking backpacks. Yeah, In fact, yeah. if you've ever owned a lightweight uh, hiking backpack, I think Pioneer Carry Wallets will be immediately familiar. Yeah. Um, it basically is somebody took apart a you know Patagonia or whoever backpack. I'm not. I can't really speak to outdoor performance backpacks, and and made a wallet out of the that material. That's what I would say. Pioneer looks except way cleaner than what you're probably imagining. But uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's it's an interesting topic. Um, just you know, I mean, we talk a lot, and our background has has made us confront some of these heritage versus performance conversations before, and it's it's interesting to see that space take off and for me I've, I've looked at so many kickstarter wallets that are made from novel materials or metals or rubbers and everything else and they all just kind of fall flat on their face but i can actually endorse pioneer which is rare for me yeah and <laughs> we're trying takes to me not a lot, takes a lot for me to admit actually you know you could have we could have made the choice to like run it which we'd never have done a kickstarter but run a kickstarter like 10 times stronger than steel you know as seen on tv kind of right. stuff that goes on but we try to keep that more on the down low and kind of more emphasize the use cases and emphasize right. the lifestyle because we're using that material, but we'll use another material next. Like maybe our right. next series will be out of Cordura or maybe a other, there's a lot of stuff out of there to materials. try. So it's, you know, we didn't want it to be kind of gimmicky. Well, that's one benefit. And I think your brand right now is at a really exciting size. Um, there's a certain, small, yeah, small. <laughs> And growing. Yeah. And that's the exciting part. Uh, there's a certain size, and this is like what I think surprises a lot of people that are outside of the industry. Um, industry being like soft, good design, bags, wallets, whatever. Um, that there's a lot of these really high-end material, high-end materials that nobody is using. And there's reasons for that. Scale being reasons. Um, like if you're a big enough brand, a huge cut of your brand, of, of every product that you're going to, is going to your wholesalers just the nature of business and that that basically prevents you from being able to use these high high end materials because you just simply I mean you you would be surprised at how these big big brands can't afford these high end materials because so much of what they're of their product basically I mean so much of the margin is being swallowed by wholesale by marketing all these other things well, and big brands have to cater to big mass markets right. and they don't understand so it's it's always the niche market i mean it's always the niche markets that do anything innovative that's just absolutely <laughs> i mean especially in this i mean there's a race to the bottom with the big brands yeah. and it seems counterintuitive but yeah it's the small companies the small brands that get to use the most fun materials because like our dyneema has been used before in you know there are a number of 
very lightweight backpack companies like Hyperlite and a few other ones that aren't the North Face and aren't Osprey. And there's people who you know gravitate to them. They make a living doing their thing. And right. Uh, but we're actually like my goal is to take those materials and like you're saying and try to educate the public mm-hmm. and show them the value because leather is so valuable in people's minds and there's different degrees of leather and there's like horrowing leather and this and that. Right. And so we're trying to like educate the customer like this is very special that you have this in your pocket right it's not usual like you know the average fabric in your jansport or whatever is three dollars two dollars a yard this yeah. is like fourteen dollars a yard yeah like there's a it's real a, difference it's a small little <laughs> yeah. chunk of a very high-end material yeah. which is really kind of a fun element of it and i mean i think that's actually de- uh, generally true like we, we've had a lot of conversations like the thing, the materials that we use that are hyper common and very mundane, say like polyesters or polypropylenes or PETs, like they're actually incredibly fascinating. Like it's funny the things that we just look over. I mean, when I started my career with design years ago, like one of the things that just blew me away was how much work went into like a pair of scissors. Like the months and months of resources and the problem solved at the factory level and development, getting it to market. Um, I think people overlook materials a lot, and they're some of the most exciting innovations that we have currently. Yeah, to designers and people who are kind of nerds. But, to, but to people, people want like, solutions, though, too. Like right. that's, and that's what I have to really, you know, as designers, we can geek out all day, but I have to always remind myself to, like, talk about in, in my company, like, the solutions that we're creating. People want to geek out. Yeah. Some people do, you know. <laughs> some people, like, you know, you tell them the solution, and this is why. Right. But just by virtue of the fabric itself, or the, like that's a small amount of people. Yeah, that's true. You know, maybe the people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, even the, I mean, in the, we talk about like mavens a lot, or like in like what's the word? There was a really good phrase that we use from, but basically industry leaders. Like, I mean, you go you go at Nike. Like the reason why the reason why people so many people buy Nikes is because of Michael Jordan. Like, when you really go back, it's like the people that spread the message or spread the gospel of Nikes are the people that were geeking out about the high-tech, whatever. By the time that people actually buy it, they don't know what they're geeking out about. But they just know that the people who are geeking out are geeking about Nike. And so it, it does, like, trickle down. And so it is, like, even if not everybody that buys your wallets understands why it's special, somebody along the way has to understand why it's special. And then they're telling everybody else, telling everybody else, and that's what's going to make your brand grow, I think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it is It is an interesting topic. Um, so, I mean, you're in an interesting place where up until now, up until you, you, know, you started Pioneer Brand, you were basically you know, a working designer, and that was your only role. Have you, has the adjustment from being a designer to a business owner been... A painful transition, a fun transition, it's, challenging. It's been, I would say, kind of a beautiful transition. A and, beautiful transition and kind of natural. So, I will <laughs> recall a conversation. So Joe and I went to the same design school, and, and one of the first weeks, uh, I think, yeah, one of the first weeks of the first year of design school, they're pretty much like after this year you will never be the same and there's no going back and you will view everything differently right and we're kind of sorry that this is going to happen but you know you are not going to look at the world the same way almost kind of foreseeing both like awe and wonder followed by jadedness and yeah anger. Or, or you know that you have to then scrutinize everything you see that 
morphosis that happened in first year design school, that exact same thing has happened to me this year to where I learning business, I never can look at anything the same. I can't even imagine my life prior to the learnings that I've oh, had really? in the last you know, <clears throat> eight months that we've been doing Pioneer. Officially, I mean, Pioneer's been in the world. Pioneer's been incubating for a long time. But it has not been a business entrepreneurship venture until the last eight months. Wow. And so, like, I mean, give me some examples. Because, I mean, interesting. I mean, we actually worked at the same brand for a while. Um, And as a working designer, you're always having those conversations. It's, It's kind of a design versus business conversation almost at every meeting. And there's compromises that have to be made to accommodate the business. Um, and it's just kind of a battle to find out which of those compromises are acceptable, which ones are actually going to be undermining the brand or undermining design, undermining the user's experience. It's a lot of discussions between like short-term gains versus long-term impact on the, on the brand. Do you think going back that you'd be confronting those conversations differently? What do you mean I'd be confronting those? Companies? Like, do you think that you would now, you now, like, would sympathize more with the business side of those discussions? Oh, uh, I, I kind of always think I did kind of sympathize. No, probably I can more, totally see that. Probably more than a lot of des- industrial designers. Yeah. Uh, I think I was uh, less of a purist idealist. Like, I could... <laughs> I, I think the business guys would probably disagree with you, but the designers would agree with yeah, you. Yeah, so I was caught, you know, somewhere in the... But I... The last job that I had, can I say the brand that we were? We're not talking about. Well, yeah, yeah, we can say. Where did we work together? We worked at Levi's together. Levi Strauss Incorporated. So we worked at Levi's, and I would say that that jo- I've had three different jobs prior to starting this, but that job prepared me the most. Yeah. Hands down for the business side because it was so much more business oriented. You were in more businessy meetings, and and right. design was compromised much more than other places I had worked? I won't say... <laughs> I'm uncomfortable <laughs> saying it was compromised. I will say that there, you you do have to please the widest, and hugest audience. Let's just say it's the most mass brand that I've worked for, yeah. and therefore there has... Massive numbers. ...had those parameters. Um, had I not worked there for the few years I did, I would be way less equipped right. uh, for what I'm doing now. Uh, and... Yeah, I totally empathize, and I probably, if I went back to Levi's now, I would be, I probably wouldn't even go back as a designer. I would go back as, like, a, a merchant. As a merchandiser. Or, or a mark. You know, I would, it, it's kind of weird, and that sounds very... <clears throat> You'd come back onto the business side. Probably. I think I would actually do more good for the world. <laughs> that, you could contribute the most. Though, yeah, right, and I could, you know, very few peep designers can make, do make that trend or want to make that transition. Or want to, absolutely. Want to, and um, I'm really enjoying the business side. I'm really enjoying, like, the autonomy. And, I think, and, yeah, you have the autonomy now, but if you were at Levi's, you would not have the autonomy. No, 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 no. I, but every designer can empathize with, like, the business guys or the sales guys come in and they'll talk down to you, and you're, yeah, always, you're always second place, and design is never the head of the company you know i think that's true i mean even though that right now i think designers are enjoying thanks to like apple and there's a design movement that happened they're doing well better than they were better than they were but i I kind of get really frustrated i got sick and frustrated of always being kind of talked down to like you don't get it when i really didn't get it and i should have been talked down to that was appropriate for them (laughs) you think so yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a reality of design. Like, when you get out, when you're a little design student, you know that, like, you know all the right answers, and if, if the business guys would just listen to you, you could change the world. And, well, yeah, I mean, there's just some idealism that kind of dies quickly in the business world because, you know, there's constraints. There's constraints. There's reasons why good design doesn't often make it to the to the market. There's some bad taste that just comes with the masses. That's definitely a contributor. But when you're a design when you're a design student, you think that the reason why desi- good design never makes it to the market is because there's not talented design designers out there making the right decisions. When you get out, there's enough talent. <laughs> you realize there's plenty of talent. There's plenty of really good designers. The bottleneck isn't the amount of good designers. The bottleneck are brands that care about design and that think that that believe because it's it's totally belief. There's no when a product goes out to the market, there's no guarantees it's going to work. You're making a bet. You're making a bet that we've made the right decisions, um, and not be prior to 2007 Apple or yeah early 2000 Apple. The year? Nobody was betting on design as being the right is being the magical element that was going to sell a lot of product. Now more people put more weight on that, but it's still not everybody. Or design thinking. I mean, design thinking then is even broader and, and more right. widespread, which is, you know, thinking about business in a design way, which is, right. you know, I worked at IDEO, which is that, which is also help for, you know. Yeah, IDEO being, yeah, the founders of design yeah, thinking. thinking, which, you know. We could spend an episode on that entirely, <laughs> but I think I think both of us had a similar thing going where I think all of our, the people that we worked with, business side included, I think have been surprised at how business-minded we've been more than other designers. Um, I give credit to the program that we went to. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty pragma- pragmatic education. Yeah, extremely pragmatic, even from out, out of the gate. Right. Where someone who went to a pure art school needs a lot of would take a lot of time to get the business yeah, slapped I mean, I, into them. <laughs> every time I talk to like a young up-and-coming designer and they haven't gone to art school yet, I, I kind of just steer them to say, hey, you should go to a university like where they're going to make you study general education uh, prerequisites and like that full 360 education. I mean, already universal university uh, education isn't that pragmatic to a fu- like a future in a career. It's already pretty uh, idealistic, yeah. Idealistic and academic, which is I think is great. I'm pro university, but um, I mean, I I can't. I never went to an art school, so I can't claim. I can't make any claims about what that is. But I know that I personally benefited from having to take philosophy courses, from taking uh, economic courses, everything else. I think that well-roundedness has served me well in my career. Um. But yeah, it's it's a it's a it's interesting watching you be a business guy, and I think it, it suits you well. But but you're a business guy with heavy design sympathies, yeah, which and, I think is important. Yeah, and those sympathies kind of get in check or get more like uh, realistic, I guess yeah. now nowadays. I you know it, I always thought that my favorite brands were just like these absolutely non sold out brands that just did everything exactly the way they wanted and like it was almost like an art form like my favorite lifestyle brands or whatever and the more that I have to investigate and scrutinize every little detail of what they do on their site or social media or this and that I realize no they're not the only the only way they could survive is actually be really business oriented right (laughs) and so 
I mean, even I had <laughs> we were redesigning part of the website, and our checkout button was like, uh, you know, I thought, oh, how cool and like idealistic for the checkout button to just kind of blend in with the rest of the page, <laughs> you know, and like, oh, it's just going to match our kind of black and gray aesthetic, and it's just going to be like a you know a black outlined rectangle, you know, thinking that's like the you know, right. I'm not going to have some big like Amazon looking checkout button. But then I investigate, you know, so I'm reconsidering that thing. And then I investigate some of my favorite brands, even close to Pioneer, or really cool, like the coolest brands. Right. And I go to their checkout button, and their checkout button is, like, bright blue. <laughs> and, like, totally, like, just trying to get people to press the button at right. that point. And so I'm like, oh, well, they really thought about this in a logistical businessy way and yeah. like sacrificed a little bit of this aesthetic on that page and then so then I you know I learned something and then I right. make my button blue or whatever <laughs> orange is the <coughs> well and I think a lot of design I mean because I think anybody who has spent any time being a professional designer or a professional businessman for that matter knows that there's a spectrum and there's a spectrum between like the pure aesthetic ideal of say the the checkout button that is completely harmonious with its environment yeah, so yeah. that it blends in. That's like the design ideal. And then on the other opposite end of the spectrum is the checkout button with flame shooting out of it and blinking yeah. as a GIF. And like, you have to trade off because if you do the, the flaming, blinking GIF checkout button, if that doesn't fit out with your band brand, maybe you are a blinking checkout button kind of brand. But if you're not, that's going to make people think less of your brand. And so there's long-term versus short-term. Over the short-term, you're going to get a lot of clicks because that shit works. Like but yeah, if you it had does a blinking, yeah. fluorescent, flaming-colored checkout button, like, we've done enough data, we've done enough research, enough A-B testing to know that that button's going to get clicked There's more. a reason that pop-up ads look the way they do. Yeah, or banner ads, yeah. or why you go to these websites and all of a sudden their ads play automatically play sound everybody hates that right universally everybody claims that if you go to a, a product page and it immediately plays a video with sound that you're never going back but here's the problem if i've personally done a b testing on that exact question and you get more sales if you have an automatic loud playing video so there's i mean these are the things that you have to weigh it's like there's short-term gains versus long-term benefit to your brand. And you can't shortchange the long-term benefit of your brand for these short-term games. But it's not a, it's, there's no science. It's a question of how much can we. And I'm also starting to realize like some of those things I held so strongly as an aesthetic thing, I realize like, don't really matter. They don't right. really matter to me or anyone else. Like, well, now they don't matter to me, but like, I thought they mattered to me. They don't matter to anyone. And so like, just give it up and just do the convention in that one little respect. Yeah. And I mean... I mean, you don't, say don't that. Don't fight it for <laughs> You say that, but like, I know you. And I know that, you, like, there's very few people that care as much about the details as you. So it sounds like, to people listening, it sounds like, oh, this guy doesn't give a shit. But yeah, like, no, no, I happen no. to know that, like, compared to, like, 98% of the world, you actually really do. But this is, this is the detail oriented guy realizing that there's a, there's a reasonable level. 
Yeah, and, and I'm the guy who switched my checkout button to blue just recently. <laughs> and that was like a big leap for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a yeah. huge leap, a and huge compromise. A lot of that came in when we redesigned the website just recently for <clears throat> we're launching new stuff or whatever. So we kind of revisit everything, and I'm looking at what the competitors do, and I'm like, there's such reason for why they're doing it, functional reason, and, right. you know, I really should do this. <laughs> yeah. And it's not going to sacrifice anything. You know, everyone's going to get the product the way they wanted it. It's not, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, oh, man, there's a really good quote on the tip of my brain about, you know, perfection is where good ideas go to die or something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, maybe I just, no, you know what? Perfection is where good ideas go to die. Yeah. Joe Bauer said that. Well. We're going to attribute that quote to me. But I don't know who said it. Somebody listening probably knows. But I think that there's definitely, the older I get, the more I learn to care about the final product, but don't be precious about it in the process. And here's the secret. It's always process, you know? So like, I think there's a lot to be said about trial and error. And we were actually just before the podcast talking, we were having a conversation about trial and error and like how that's iteration, but like we're in a, we're in a weird point where like, I think a few years ago, all the product development, all the product iteration, all the brand iteration happened before a launch. And now even like we're just iterating as we go, as we release products, every release is an experiment and we can adjust and there's a fluidity to it. And I think the best designers have the courage to just like, just take a stab and see how people respond and then listen to how people respond. And we have those feedback loops now. That's been super exciting for us because now we've had, you know, we had a few friends and family field testers prior to launch. Now we have hundreds of people and a lot of them give their unsolicited or sometimes solicited yeah. feedback. So many customers. You'd be surprised how many customers like and will just reach out. That's the, one of the biggest surprises. But you know, if I, you have a good brand, I'm you know, yeah, yeah, and, and people you know feel a connection. And and I personally design and develop the products, and I go to the factory and do every little thing. And it's been so exciting to take this real feedback about something that, like a little baby. You know, it's my little baby that I made, and to be able to make which we've just made the second iteration, so second production run of our of our wallets and it, it just looks so much better and I'm imagining what's it going to look like in five years I'm going to look back because I know you, you know you look back at the first launch and you know you're going to look back in five years and say that thing was junk I mean look at the first yeah. Nike that ever came out and now look at the newest Nike 100% you know it's they, they had what 30 some odd years to, to iterate there's hidden misses there yeah and there's things that fell off and they you know did the Nike shock thing that broke yeah. everyone's ankle and then it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can't bash for that. But, yeah, I, think, I think, no, that's so true. I think of even like, okay, you take the most famous or consistently high caliber design products and it, the conversation always steers down to Nike or Apple. I mean, you even look at Apple's early products and like early iPods and early MacBooks and all this stuff. They've had some weird, weird shit. Like, the, the over time, Johnny Ive and his team have gotten more sophisticated, more refined. There's nobody immune from having to put the reps in before you get to refined. Like it just it's a it's a there's a long process there. Things get better with time. Your product hits a stride. Your company, your brand hits a stride. They find their voice. And in tandem, people are more demanding. As yeah, people. and, and, you know, when, and when the customers you, ask for more. Hopefully, when more. you first launch, your thing is so novel and so needed that people just want it regardless of how fit and finished it is. Yeah, absolutely. And then 
they expect that you have this, you know, level of standard of, uh, you know, quality. Totally. I notice this with brands, they start novel and they get refined. And then they have to find their novelty again, which is super funny to watch. Like these established brands, like try to take some stabs, try to take some risks and watching how difficult it is for them and how awkward it sometimes feels. That's sometimes that return to novelty can be like one of the hardest points in a company's progression, um, which is fun to watch. It's usually... It's like the five year growing. Yeah, I'll so think. I always say it's the five year. I'll think about that a lot later. How to, <laughs> like how to return years, to right? yeah. <laughs> But if, I, I'll say your product's pretty refined. Like it's it's pretty refined. And you haven't even seen the second version, so that's a uh, ooh yeah. <laughs> Pioneercarry.com. <laughs> Pioneercarry.com. Um, but that actually, that's I've actually taken um, some a couple small polls on my Instagram and Twitter. And it's funny, like, to, just as far as, like, questions, like, what do you want me to talk about on my podcast? And nobody's actually heard this podcast yet, which is interesting. We've, we've, we've recorded a bunch of episodes, but we're, like, trying to get kind of a small handful of good episodes before we tell everybody that this thing exists. But just asking a few people, that was one of the questions that came up a couple times from young designers. Is like, how do you find your voice as a designer? And I thought that was such a weird question. So... I, that was so weird to me too, and I recently just watched the Virgil Abloh talks to Harvard Design School. Oh yeah, and his yeah, whole thing was you, you seen that? No, I've been meaning to watch. Oh, it. so his whole thing was about finding your voice and finding your I bet that's where your that style comes from. and your thing, yeah. and he talks about that. And I've never thought about that in my life, right? And but my right? my dad will always look at my designs and be like, "Oh, that's totally you." Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so, and you even say that about my stuff. I totally know your voice. Yeah, but I don't, and I never, you know, no one, you know, Virgil Abloh is like a, a art designer, fashion. Totally. And He's, so he if, has if, to stick to his shtick just like there's like a Karim Rashid is like a swoopy things and, <laughs> yes. you know, Dita Rams is like rectangles and circles things. Yeah, rec- soft rectangles. I mean, that was like a crude way of explaining Dita Rams. but Yeah. <laughs> You're going to piss off a lot of people yeah. by talking shit on the <laughs> so, god of design. So, uh, design. so ignorant sounding. Um, but I never thought, in, as a commercial designer and not like kind of a superstar, I never even thought of that voice. And like, yeah. what's the value of that even? Like if I went to go work at a, the North Face tomorrow or, or Apple, like yeah, what is my voice? voice? They don't even want my voice. They, they want the want... brand's voice. And right. that's part of the reason why I actually never wanted to work at Arcteryx because... I uh, thought that their voice was so defined. already defined, yeah. you know, and I was used to be working. And that's not a bad thing. A competitor. Like a- no, I used to be working for a competitor of Arcteryx, which is why I considered this. And I thought, well, I just have to step in line really strong. And, and, right. and I know some designers who had the opportunity to go to Apple who chose not to for similar for reasons. reasons. Yeah. And so uh, Virgil Abloh is speaking about that from a very particular place, which is – not where I'm at. Yeah, he's a, he's what I would call a signature author. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word. Where his where his like his fingerprint, he's being hired or he's being bought because his fingerprint is on it. He's he is his own brand. Um, and working in a corporate environment, they're not always going to want your voice. So your your ability to speak to the customer in the language the the brand has already established is going to be what makes you valuable. But again, all these brands do often have a need to return to novelty where they need a fresh voice. And like, those are like, if you can find a brand that's like trying to do that and get in there at that moment. And you are the design director and you're the design director or the design director likes your voice. 
and wants to hear what you have to say. But, like, yeah, I mean, I think it's for us, both of us, being pragmatic, pragmatic uh, commercial designers, our voice is not something that gets factored in or we never even think about it. Because, like, that's, there's a spectrum, again, of art to design. And, like, your voice matters in art. An illustration, even. An illustration? Well, that's art. Yeah, you know? well... You can say, yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, illustration is commercial art. Yeah, but they definitely have an instant signature, especially because it's a lot often like actually right. with their physical pen, and you can see it instantly, or you know. Well, for me, I'm just like wondering if the fact that that question keeps coming up is like an indication of where design is at right now. Like, it seems like people. I mean, because that just wasn't a question that was coming up when I was a young designer. Could have just been because of that. Talk. Because because they're young. I mean, it could be Virgil Abloh's influence, and I, I I don't know. I think that there's some validity to that. I think we are getting to the point of where I mean, in the U.S. design cycle in Europe and Asia are on just different different cycles, um, and I think you know that we we both uh, a huge portion of our customers, in fact, maybe the majority of both of our customers have been overseas in Asia and Europe, different attitudes. Um, I think over there, particularly in Europe, expressive design is more expected. They expect designers to be novel. Italian especially. Italian especially. Yeah. In the U.S., I think maybe we're growing into that. Maybe it's like we got to this point where Apple, we're stripped of expressive nature, stripped of like 100% pragmatic and elegant and beautiful, has been done. And like I don't... I think about this a lot. Like when we, I remember specifically actually years ago, we were walking through Best Buy. Do you remember this? I don't know until you tell the story. Yeah. So we were walking to Best Buy and we were just like ripping on all the bad design in Best Buy. Anyone can be a critic. Yeah, anybody can be a critic. And when you're a young designer, you're very dismissive. Yeah. Um, and you're get, because you're just seeing things for the first time and you're realizing how bad things are for the first time because you've been, your eyes have been open once you get a little bit of education about design. Um, and also, things were just really bad back then. Like, I remember the, the shit that we were looking at. It was all, it you know, laser-edged paisleys on a laptop. Truly, yeah. Yeah, it was really bad. Now I walk through Targets and Best Buys, things are pretty good. Things have gotten a lot better. Like, even with my critical eye, I haven't gotten less cynical. Um, and if anything, I've gotten more cynical. And things have improved. And so I wonder... and. And I've started to wonder what is the con- contribution that designers can make or what the contribution that I can even make in this climate where things are actually pretty good. That's like when both of us went to Japan for one of the first times. That's the follow-up story. Oh, is okay. us in Japan. Yeah. And we're looking and we're intimidated. And we're kind of like, well, there's no reason for us to exist. Yeah, why do we exist? It out. Like, we felt like we were, yeah. That's also kind of us having a very highfalutin. That's a whole conversation about, like, how important is design yeah. in the grand scheme of things? Like, because when I was a student, I thought design was going to save the world. Literally, right. now I realize, uh, you know, everything in, has its place. Marketing has its place. Sales has its place. And absolutely, and uh, design is not the answer to everything. Bullshit. <laughs> which Bullshit. I thought it was, but design is not the answer to everything. Uh, which I think. I, the, I think I will say the principles of design are the are. answer to everything. Well, the principles just being, you know. I mean, the principles of design, as I see them, is just making deliberate, uh, intelligent, rational decisions about every problem. Um, And it's an approach that is kind of holistic that I think 
when applied to sales and applied to marketing, has equally Yeah, so that's design thinking then. I wouldn't say it's design thinking. I mean, design thinking is a very specific okay. thing. But yeah, you're right. It's getting aesthetics, pretty close. Aesthetics will not save us or get us to the moon. Right. Good aesthetics are not <laughs> I mean, everything. to Mars. Sorry. Sorry, Elon. <laughs> Good aesthetics are not everything. But, like, there is aesthetics in engineering. There is aesthetics. And that, that I mean, that gets pretty high-minded and pretty philosophical. But I think, I think... The truth is, I think design has gotten to the point in America where it's kind of gotten to this point where they're all trying to be Dieter Rams. They're all trying to be Apple. They're all trying, at least trying. They're not succeeding, all of them. There's still a lot of bad design out there. But I think it's, it is time for us to think about what's next. And I think a little bit of rock star energy, oh, man, I, I already regret saying that, but like a little bit of like expressiveness, a little bit of artistic risk-taking with design might we might be primed for that perhaps as as you know you see the marketplace getting more segmented because of dtc direct to consumer stuff so everyone mm-hmm. can choose their own little yeah. bubbles of sources of influence and so therefore the virgil virgil abloh does perfect for the hype beast or the this right whereas the guy who works in finance has no idea. It's never been a t- better time to hit a niche. Yes. Yeah, so, you can do niche. Scale is small now. So if you, you can have millions of little rock stars in every little niche. There's right. the guy who Speaking works in Speaking to all the little that, t- tiny tribes. Wears Patagonia vests. There's the guy who's a hype beast who works blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's actually, I mean, that's, that's why things are, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but I, I think there's, there's a, at a certain scale, at a certain large scale, you have to hit everybody. It's got to be a, it's got to be a really catchy, feel good hit to 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 hit that scale to sell to three hundred thousand people to make that product worthwhile. That's been how things have been done. You have to sell three hundred thousand to be make anything. Now we're getting to the point where, like, you know, if you have a thousand customers, you can like you hear cha ching. You know, like that is, you can have a thousand customers and succeed. And that allows you to be more expressive and allows you to be more unique. And may, yeah, so maybe that's the direction things are going. Maybe, maybe it gets to the point where not having a voice means you're not going to succeed as a designer. I like the idea of having, throughout your career as a designer, to have multiple voices. Yeah. Different times, like I think of even just the obvious of like Frank Lloyd Wright. He's like dabbling in prairies, you know, he, not dabbling, he creates prairie style, right. but then he also goes off and does crazy kind of like Mesoamerican, kind of like Mexican influence with cement, yeah. and he goes off and does this, and he does that, and he, the principles are the same, but the voice is, is very different, and only right. if you really know him can you tell, and, I mean, and nice it, there will be, there will be a time when Virgil Abloh in a very few, very short time where that stuff will not resonate and he will either have to you, you know go in the background or or right. become something else and well i think virgil is a great example of somebody who is constantly involving like i mean and the funny thing is like with with fashion with any product that you're any physical product like there's a delay between your mindset and what's on the shelves because like you're you're constantly making things like two years in advance I think actually you're you're pretty quick. Like Pioneer, is what is really, developing, it goes right to the shelves as soon as you're done thinking about it. Yeah, almost too quickly. So right. you know, the average, uh, you know, in se- <coughs> kind of concept to on the shelves is is two years. At say yeah. a lot of places we worked, some place like fashion, a lot of more fast fashion. And that's worth making. That's like re- worth reemphasizing. If you don't work in products, like 
most of the designers right now are working towards like fall of 2019 products at the earliest. That's like where everybody's mindset is currently. If you work at H&M or Zara, it's it's accelerated. It's a little bit faster, And if you work like at Pioneer Carry, there's just two of us, um, it's really fast. Yeah. You know, I would, I haven't really, it's probably six months. Right. Uh, You know, we, we launched, we started to see that we needed to switch some things and people were asking for these other things. And it's only been eight months, and we're launching a new thing right now. So it yeah. really was like a six month, which is you can't do that with comp super complicated product like a like a, a shoe, cha- you know, like a car or a wheelchair or something, you know. But you can do it with a wallet. With a wallet, yeah. I mean, but I'm seeing like the stuff that Virgil's working on. I actually, I get the sense um, from being. I mean, I can't say that I know Virgil. I can't say he knows me. But like working in close proximity with him, I got the sense that like the stuff that is hitting shelves now he's past he's like already on to the next um and the next his mindset's in a different place than what people are experiencing now um of his products and i think yeah i mean it's adapt or die that's really like the climate that we're in and, and he even talks about that and he has all his like other design director buddy friend you know he's got a whole posse of people and he he handpicks people off of instagram young kids that are doing things so he, yeah he keeps it fresh and, and same with like you know the Godfather Kanye, he also has that same sort of thing. Yeah, he's and they stay, understand they the fresh, need to got, keep it fresh, fresh, fresh. Yeah, so. they they got staying fresh. And that's yeah, also fashion. Science. We're getting into not fashion. design, industrial design. But that's like I think the point that we're actually making is that the line between tech and fashion is has to disappear a little bit. It has to disappear, and it's like I'm watching the. I mean, I am a designer in San Francisco, so working for a fashion brand, so I see the tension between those two worlds tech has to evolve into a fashion mindset to survive and they're, they're currently trying and it's actually hilarious to watch the, the yeah, gap, go to ces there's a lot yeah, of go to CES and see the visual gap between those two things but culturally so, so socially we are demanding that that gap closes Absolutely, yeah that could and, be a whole five episodes so yeah yeah that could be i mean that honestly the dna of this podcast are very much right at the square cross-section of those at the of that those two industries, like tech and fashion, need to coalesce, and they are just having the hardest time doing that right now. And it's, which makes it actually a really fun time. So, to the people asking, I mean, in conclusion, I guess if there is even a conclusion with that question, how do you find your voice as a designer? I don't think me or Henry can answer that question. I think you just keep designing, keeping authentic. I think honestly, and this actually goes to the last episode I found uh, recorded. Um, you don't have a choice in the matter. You keep designing stuff, your voice will show up, even if you don't want it to. Uh, me and Henry, I think, are two designers that have, have actually put considerable effort to try to be uh, voiceless, to, be, to, to only design to the user's needs and get our and mindset out of it, the product's needs, the constraints of production, and we still can't ha- help it. Like I see products and I'm like, oh, Henry designed that. A mile away, I can tell that Henry designed that, and I think vice versa. You can see my the presence of my voice. Your your voice is going to show up. Don't worry about that. Just worry about designing the best things that you can. But I think the conclusion of this discussion is that the, your voice is probably going to matter more than ever. Hmm, like yeah. there is there is that gap between art and design that there seems to be an appetite. People want things that are expressive. People want things that are a little bit more fashion than they are just pure tech. To, to add to that just quickly, I think 
a lot of my voice, and I've seen this in other people, a lot of my voice has a lot to do with the very first brand I worked for. What do you think? And, you know, it's kind of like uh, you're nurtured as a little kid and you do everything your parents, Dude, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, fresh out the gate of design school, I went to work for kind of an outdoor uh, black diamond right. equipment. Um, and Pioneer Carry is very <laughs> – it seems very similar to me. Right. To that, you know, and that's when you're still in very formative years and your mentors there are telling you that this is good and this is bad and a certain aesthetic and yeah. even, even colors. Like I didn't learn much about color in school and it wasn't until I was in the outdoor industry that I'm learning about color. And so that color is very outdoor industry. I have never seen any other designer – Obsess over color like you though. Oh, it's because I'm partially colorblind. (laughs) You're insecure. You're like, this is a gap, and so you put a lot of reps into the color because. And I did not learn any color in school. I, you know, you know, and and going into fashion, like running a fashion line at at Levi's, that was a huge. I mean, that I spent way too much obsessing over how wrong I was, and I had, you know, I have some colorblindness and. It's mostly in men, so I had my female assistant designer do a lot of the color choice. And, I would, and you were sending me texts, like, obsessively, yeah. like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not there. In conclusion, the first place you design, I think, has a – Your formulative years. It's formulative years in the industry, and that was a very strong brand, and I have not sh- shaken it. And I will say – and that comes back to the concept of this podcast. Consume is just as an important word as create. Absolutely. With, with creating things, pay close attention. Be very deliberate about your environment because that environment is forming every design that you do. You can't hide the person you are when you're designing something. If you're designing well, it just you bleed out onto the page, you bleed out onto the screen. Your DNA is going to be there. So make sure, and your DNA is created by the environment and the stuff that you're you're watching. Just like life. Just like, just like life. Just like life. So I would say stay in your formative years. As long as possible. Never try to leave that. I think Virgil is a great example. Like Virgil and Kanye, we just said, are constantly keeping things fresh because they never leave the formative years. They're always being, they're always growing. um, And they deliberately are very careful about the things that they consume. I I, I can only assume. I actually don't know those guys personally. But uh, yeah, so I think that's, you want to find your voice. Uh, Your voice is going to be created by the things that you are watching, reading, the people you hang out with the sum total of everything that um, you're taking in. How much you care about other people or humanity in yeah, general? Yeah, we'll, we'll shine through. Um, I think a lot... Yeah, anyway, we, we, that, I think that's a great uh, place to close out. Henry, thank you so much for joining me. Again, tell people where they can find you and Pioneer. Yeah, Pioneer at PioneerCarry.com. Technical wallets using advanced materials. Do you have a Twitter lifestyles. <laughs> Uh, no, you don't have Twitter. Instagram again? Yeah, Instagram is Pioneer Carry, hashtag Future Carry, and uh, yeah, Pioneer Carry. You just search Pioneer. We're in enough retailers Pioneer now. Pioneer Carry. Wallet. That's how a lot of people find it. And you will be amazed. I endorse the brand. Uh, again, you can find me. I'm, I'm still looking for people to bring on this podcast. I'm still looking for topics. Obviously, we get, we're given one topic, and we ended up spending like 20 minutes on it. Um, get a shout out. My name is... You can find me on Twitter at, at Joe underscore Bowers. You can find me on Instagram at the dot well. Um, once again, this is Creative Consume Podcast. Um, so thank you guys for coming. We'll